Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. The labor market in the U.S. is on fire these days. It's great to see, but it also had us wondering. Is there such a thing as unemployment getting too low? Are there problems that having unemployment this low or even lower can cause that we wouldn't think about normally? We wanted to dig into this, so we caught up with Dr. Anthony Wheeler. He is the dean of the School of Business Administration at Widener University. So before we really kind of drill down on our main topic, just overall, uh, our labor situation in this country is pretty impressive right now, especially considering what the last two years, what everybody's gone through, no? Absolutely, and and probably historical. We, we may never again see this type of labor market and the unique components of what's happening in the labor market. And I'm sure we're going to talk more about this as, as we go, but there's such a, an uneven distribution of what's happening. And that tends to explain some of what's happening with, with the overall, when you look at the top line metrics and you're trying to understand what, what's going on, but just these confluence of events that are occurring and, and demographic trends that have been building for a while all of a sudden seem to have kind of hit right at the same point. So we may never see something like this again, at least in our lifetimes. I've heard the term full employment thrown around right now. The unemployment rate is at 3.6%. I think the layman would think full employment means, well, zero, zero percent unemployment. I'm guessing that's not true. And is there a metric at what, at a, what level the unemployment level is that's considered full employment? Yes, and and there are some there are some variances around how people will define these things, but the federal government defines full employment at unemployment that's under five percent. So we actually are are well below even sort of what what is generally accepted as as a metric for full employment. Some people will argue that no full employment's happening around four percent, but we're still even under that. At this point, and really, what it means when you look at an unemployment rate of under three of under four percent, what it means is that the people who are currently unemployed are are probably not really active in the labor market at all. So the main focus we wanted to drill down on it seems it sounds so counterintuitive because. So much of our society is built on the idea we want to get people to work, we want to get everyone a job. And here things are going great, things are cooking. We're talking full employment, but are there negative effects to having an unemployment level down where we are at 3.6% and possibly trending even lower? Yes, and we are seeing it. I, right now, the last the last sort of metrics I saw on this is that if every unemployed American right now so that remaining you know, 3.6, 3.7, 3.8% of people who, who are nominally in the workforce. If all of those people were to take jobs right now, we would still have millions of unfilled vacancies. So that's how out of whack the supply and demand piece of this is from a labor market perspective. So it's really interesting 
when you start to look at how something like this happens or or what are the things that lead to this, it really has a lot to do with some demographic trends. Obviously, there are some things that are happening as we, can we even say we're out of COVID, right? As we're on the, the tail end of what might be the end of this pandemic, there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, the for, dec- for, for years now, for at least a decade, economists have been saying things like, the, the boomers, the boomer generation, which which had been the largest component of the U.S. workforce, uh, 35, 36, 37 percent of the total U.S. workforce were, were boomer generation employees. Generation X is relatively small, uh, probably in the mid 20 percent of the workforce. And then the millennial generation is also large. They've been saying for years that that the boomers are going to retire. They're going to finally retire. And by and large, the boomers didn't. Now, the 08 recession had something to do with that, uh, where boomers were, that the, the leading edge of the boomer generation could have retired, starting to retire around the 08 recession. And then 401ks take a hit, all that happens. And boomers continued to work. Now that boomers are finally retiring, and COVID seems to have been the, the, the push point for a lot of boomers to finally retire, now you have a situation where the Generation X workforce is not big enough to fill that void. And the generation, the millennial generation, while big, is still not prepared to take certain types of jobs. They don't have the experience. They don't have the skills yet. They're still in a developmental phase. All those things are happening. And our previous uh, presidential administration had had tighter immigration policies, legal immigration policies. And one of the underappreciated things, I think, about having tighter immigration policies, the United States right now has a birth replenishment rate that is below what is, what is documented to keep our current population level. The United States for many, many years has benefited from legal and non-legal, illegal immigration as a mechanism to keep our population growing, hence our economy growing. So when you tighten your immigration policies, even for legal immigrants, that's also removing potential pieces of your workforce. So those things are all happening kind of right at the same time and leading to this instance of we have too many jobs and not enough employees it's causing companies to compete harder and use more incentives to try to get a you know more employees in a very tight labor market to come. So what's happening are all these knock-on effects, right? People are leaving their jobs per the great resignation. We might talk about that in a couple of minutes. Uh, and as that's happening, we as consumers especially are feeling that as there aren't enough employees to to help us when we're out shopping or to get orders filled our supply chain you know doesn't have enough people in the supply chain to unload ships and to process send the, the materials out all those things are happening because we simply don't have enough employees right now how much does this situation we're in and having unemployment this low and what you kind of just talked about plug into the inflation we're seeing because on one hand and this is kind of the hand that I lean towards 
for the first time, I think in my adult lifetime, you're seeing employees, you know, get more money thrown at them. You know, you're starting at $15, $16 an hour, stuff like that. But that money has to come from somewhere. And you talk about the supply chain problems, how much of the inflation, I don't want to say how much, but this is a big piece of the inflation pie, isn't it? It absolutely is. So labor costs are rising. So as, as employers are having to now raise wages, having to use different types of incentives. We, we tend to only think of compensation from a standpoint of what your salary is. But there are many, many additional parts to total compensation. So healthcare costs continue to rise. And again, that's part of inflation as well. You know, the materials, the employees. So healthcare costs are rising. But also employees now you know, negotiating things like signing bonuses, uh, relocation bonuses, they're negotiating on paid days off. All of those things are open to negotiation. So the total employee costs are rising, as well as the parts of inflation that are really being driven primarily right now, uh, the, the bulk of what's driving a lot of our current inflationary uh, environment does have to do with global supply chain issues, being able to get materials out, not having enough materials getting inbound to make to make products or services. That's causing a lot of most of the inflation, but absolutely the knock-on effects from having not enough employees and competing more fiercely monetarily for employees, the dollars do get passed on ultimately to the consumers. That being said, and correct me if I'm just being a cynical guy here, uh, but not all, but a lot of these companies are also making record profits. So it's not, we wouldn't have to move the needle that much that maybe they take a small bite in profits and level the playing field for inflation, or am I am I making it too simple? I mean, it's a complicated question, and I I I, I probably would tend to agree with you. But for a lot of companies, especially publicly traded companies, the the pressure they're under from shareholders to maintain margins, uh, you know, that, that lead to dividends and all of those things, um, that pressure is still there for companies to maintain their margin. So even as their costs are rising, um, they still are under pressure to raise their their price for services or for goods. So yes, they are making records amount of revenues through the roof. And a lot of things that, that are going on, companies still by and large have been sitting on a lot of cash. A lot of companies are holding a lot of cash reserves and not investing those cash reserves back into the business. They're, they're sitting on it for rainy day funds. That becomes problematic when companies engage in stock buyback practices. That often does get fueled as well by sitting on so much cash. They have the cash to buy back stocks out in the market, which then drives their prices up, drives their stock prices up. So yes, companies, do companies have to raise their prices? No, they don't. But they are also under pressure, especially from their shareholders to, to maintain or increase, in some cases, their margins. Time to take a break. We will continue our conversation with the Dean of the School of Business Administration at Widener University, Dr. Tony Wheeler, right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. 
And we are back continuing our conversation with Dr. Tony Wheeler, the Dean of the School of Business Administration at Widener University. Are there other ripple effects of low unemployment that we haven't discussed that maybe people wouldn't, you know, think of? Because I think even the inflation one, you, you have to do, you have to take a couple steps to, oh, okay, it makes sense. But anything else of, of kind of that nature? I, I think there are something, and you, and, and, I'm going to do a self plug here. I, I just published a book about about some of these types of issues related to technology this past year. So I apologize for the sh- the, the shameless self plug, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna prompt you and the audience to start paying attention to what's happening in the retail sector, especially in the fast food sector of the retail industry. Over the pandemic when those businesses were still open and a lot of people didn't want to work because of fear of the virus, the companies were still open and they were still having to serve their their customer base. And they're having a really, really hard time. So here in in Southeast Pennsylvania and Southern New Jersey and Central New Jersey, Wawa and Royal Farms are are big, you know, convenience gas store type type businesses. And about a year ago, you probably started to notice that they were having signing bonuses of $500 to try to entice employees. They were also using get your first paycheck the first Saturday that you work. Normally when you get hired on a business, you don't get your first paycheck for two weeks or longer. You got to work a full pay period. You got to get on the payrolls. All those things take time. That was not happening over the pandemic. And what is also happening now, as those businesses which have relied on on high volume, cheap labor, turnover rates in in fast food type industries are are astronomical, and now they can't find employees. What is happening now in that fast food space, McDonald's, uh, Burger King, Wawa, they're all investing in technology. Americans, by and large, are not are more technology skeptical than we might appreciate. We all have our smartphones, and you know we we're so used to that now. But ten years ago, when the first iPhone came out, no one was thinking about these things. If you were to go into other parts of the world, their cultures—South Korea, for example, Japan, for example—their cultures are more accepting of human and technology interactions, robots. Whereas we in the U.S. think to Terminator and Minority Report, all these movies, we tend to be more skeptical of interfacing with robots. What's happening now in the fast food industry is there is heavy investment going on into the fast, into automating and using artificial intelligence to fill the employment gap that businesses can no longer find employees. They've reached a break-even point where spending the money on tech is now more affordable and the tech is more reliable. You can work longer with it. There are no breakdowns with it. All of those things are much easier now using artificially, artificially intelligent machines that are automating, not just going to a counter and ordering off of a touchscreen. We're all pretty familiar with that right now. But the actual food production now is going to be automated. 
when those types of things start happening, there is a knock-on effect in the employment world because now a lot of that labor will get freed up. Is that labor able to get upskilled to flow into different parts of the workforce? Possibly, but it may not be. So those are interesting knock-on effects that that I think we're going to see that the pandemic and this labor environment have accelerated trends. We've become more comfortable now with technology during the pandemic. If you look at cars, for example, it's easy for us to laugh at at Elon Musk or Google when one of their self-driving cars breaks down the side of the road and and burst into flames. And we we kind of chuckle at that. We say, well, what do you think is going to happen when you have a self-driving car? By the end of this decade, self-driving cars will be the norm. You will see more and more and more of it. Look no farther than the fact that companies have been slowly introducing this AI technology, which is leading to smart, smart cars, smart driving cars, backup cameras that now parallel park your car, the hands-free, Tesla's using it on the road where you just have to touch the, the steering wheel every couple of minutes. It's slowly habituating Americans to interface more with technology. That is going to be uh, an interesting knock-on effect of this low unemployment environment is that the labor is becoming so expensive that companies are now adopting the technology. They're capitalizing on the fact that Americans in particular have become more willing to engage with the tech in a service-oriented industry. And it will then fuel what we generally refer to as the fourth industrial revolution. So I think this is all part of a long-term trend that we're going to see accelerate in the next 10 to 15 years. Is there any, and given everything you've laid out, I don't think so, but I was trying to think of a time where we were in a similar, just the labor situation, not taking the technology angle and all. And the only thing I could come close to was World War II when we had so many servicemen overseas and we had, it was really the first time that women uh, you know, we're, we're seeing throughout the, the workplace. Uh, is that any kind of an app comparison or is it really apples and oranges given the, given the circumstances? I, I, I think it's, I think it's a good comparison in terms of these large external shocks that, that are happening to workforces, right? So world war two millions of service people get deployed. They come home after the United States and other countries have been backfilling with, with domestic labor, allowing more women into the workforce, and then they return home. And so, yes, we did see that kind of glut. More recently, though, the dot-com boom is probably a more recent kind of experience. Did unemployment rates get under 4% during the dot-com boom? No, but we absolutely did reach full employment. We were under 5% for a couple of years as well in the late 90s. That also was fueled by, by technological innovations as well, the internet, right? So that might be more of an analogous situation in terms of how technology might be backfilling or fueling some of this. But if you think back to the late 90s, the same phenomena was happening in terms of the heavy, heavy competition for labor and, and 
companies having to be creative with their incentive structures to attract and retain employees. That also was happening more recently. It was happening in the 90s. Uh, But in terms of these large external events, World War II absolutely is probably more analogous to the global pandemic in terms of having to mobilize entire, entire nations to handle an external threat in this case, a virus as opposed to, to, you know, homicidal Nazi and, and, and Imperial Japanese, you know, uh, armies, but, um, yeah, close. So all these ripple effects we've talked about, it's interesting. Like how do you would, it's the, the whole argument. It's just in a way it's counterintuitive. We know we have too many people working, but no, we want people working. Uh, how do you, kind of it's quite the needle to thread to try to address this uh because the answer can't be well let's just lay off a million people and uh, kick them back into the and make the workforce more competitive how do you kind of address this or is it not something that so much can be addressed is you just kind of have to deal with it as it's evolving and hope you get in a better place on the other side i think ultimately we market things will will stabilize in, in a different way i don't foresee something like this happening this ongoing kind of environment and i think it's i think it will evolve i do think that there our economy in particular i don't want to speak for outside of the united states because i certainly don't pay that as much attention to to other economies as i might in the united states here But we do have an opportunity. One of the real competitive advantages the United States has had post-World War II has been our ability to assimilate immigrants into our society, being selective about high-skilled immigrant um, labor. I do think there is an opportunity for us to mitigate some of our current workforce blockages. Really, that's kind of what's happening. And I do think technology will take over for a lot of of what's also happening. I think that's going to accelerate. The one thing that is out there, and you mentioned, you know, you can't just lay off a million people. If you're going to look at uh, loosening some of our legal immigration policies and and trying to attract high-skilled foreign workers into the US again, if you combine that with the technological advances, we will end up at a point at some at some time, maybe in mid, mid-distance kind of future, it's not going to be the next 10 years. The United States probably will have to grapple, and there are nations currently grappling with this, around things like universal basic income, uh, around more more government intervention into parts of the labor force to try to stimulate, to try to correct imbalances, to try to attract more labor in. And I know that that's probably not a popular idea among many people in in our country currently, in our current political environment, especially with the high level of polarization. are we in a bubble right now? There are no indications that we are. When you look even at the real estate market, it appears that the real estate market is so hot right now 
related to the pandemic, that because new new builds, new starts haven't been able to happen, that we currently have a housing shortage. So again, supply and demand, low supply, high demand, prices are going to raise. So we do not appear to be in some sort of bubble that could trigger, we're certainly not in a 2008 kind of environment where something's going to happen in the bond market that is going to ripple into the financial markets. That doesn't appear to be on the horizon either. It does appear that we're we're being sort of trapped by a confluence of events. A lot of people retiring finally, a global pandemic that has that has caused problems in our supply chain, and automation and technology getting into gear. It seems that these things are kind of merging together right at this point in time. It's an interesting problem to have, right? It's. You don't, like you said, you don't want to say it's a good problem, but maybe it's a better problem to have than the opposite where we're at 10% unemployment. Yeah, to that point, I feel like there is a lot of attention paid to inflation and specifically gas prices. And that's a whole different podcast because I think our thoughts on the economy are way too driven by what the corner gas station is charging. I understand it. But anyway, that's a whole separate thing. But I feel like the economy is in a much better place than it's given credit for because we pay so much attention to inflation. Am I being naive? I I, I agree with, with your sentiment. Now, what's interesting here at Widener uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a panel of Central and South American economists talking about inflation. And it was a fascinating conversation because here we are. What the inflation numbers just came out the other day, you know, eight and a half percent annualized inflation. And our Federal Reserve has an inflation target of three percent, right? They they want they they tend to want to get more engaged with interest rates and all those things if inflation gets above three. And here we are at eight and a half percent. In other parts of the world, they are looking at us and they're scratching their heads and saying eight and a half percent is is still pretty good. So it's all your frame of reference and your right to point out this connection between how we feel about things and how the facts might be different. And it is relative. If you are in Central and South America, you're looking at our economy and you're saying, wow, wouldn't it be great to only have eight and a half percent? Wouldn't it be great to have a country that has its federal reserve, you know, pegging 3% 3% as the as the inflation rate before they want to start raising interest rates. They view these things as, as how amazing would it be. But you're right. We see our gas prices going up, again, unrelated to really what's happening with the fundamentals of the economy. But we also see, because of the supply chain issues, we see milk prices going up. We see all those things happening, and it makes us feel like things are worse off than they are. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.